Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 3 of Black Women Voices. This week, we're going to be tackling the topic of experiencing loss and coping with Dr. Michelle Meadows and Valerie Rebecca Samuel. Without further ado, we welcome you to join us in conversation. Welcome back to Black Women Voices. In this episode, we are talking with Dr. Michelle and Valerie about experiencing loss as a black woman in higher ed. Welcome to the show, Valerie and Dr. Michelle. How are you? Thank you. I, I'm doing well. Doing well, thank you. Awesome. <laughs> so let's let's get into this conversation of experiencing loss and what that really means for you as a black woman in higher ed. So um, for me, I lost um, both my parents six months apart and I lost <clears throat> another close family member about eight months after that. And um, at the time I was working in institutional research and it was, it was, it was definitely an ordeal because prior to, prior to losing my parents, I was their primary caregiver. So I had a lot of, you know, uh, leaving days where I had to leave early, where I had to either go to the nursing home or go to the hospital. I was the person on call. Um, So um, that was a, it was a really trying experience in my career. I can think when I think about my career, like that was definitely sort of a, a valley period in my career where I, I had a job and I was doing it, but I was doing exactly what I needed to get done because I had other priorities. Um, as for me, I lost my husband and my mother two weeks apart. And um, I was working at two schools at that time. So one on campus and one online. So that was very difficult to manage those two significant losses very relatively at the same time. So I did have to take some time off from work. um, But when I returned, it was trying to manage my mental state my emotional state and still um, be there for the students. Because at that time I was a business professor. Um, Being in the classroom, I had to have composure while I was teaching the students. And when I was teaching online, it was just making sure that I could focus and pay attention. And then um, five years later, I lost my youngest son. He was five years old. And at that time I was teaching at Spelman College here in Atlanta. And it was just, you know, when you think you get to an okay place and then something disrupts it, this serious, it kind of just took me back. And I actually had to uh, leave that position because it was just too much at that time um, dealing with the loss of my son. And again, it's about the mental state, it's about the emotional state, the physical state as well too, because it's trauma to the body because of um, the emotions and the thoughts that go on with that. So it was very, that five year span was very difficult, but I tried to um, maintain myself as much as possible because I do have a um, nine year old son as well too. So um, it was, like I said, it was difficult, but I, I did my best to move through it because I still needed to go to work and I still needed to function. Wow. So firstly, um, sorry for you all's loss. Um, can you share while going through the loss of your loved ones, how supported or unsupported you may have felt from the university or the department that you were in at the time? Um, well, I think I was in a, being in an institutional research office, um, you all work in higher education, so you know it's, there's not a lot of traffic coming in and out of most IR offices. So I kind of had, I think that was sort of a saving grace for me in that I could close my door and I could, I could cry and run Excel spreadsheets at the same time. You know, I, could, I, had, I had privacy um, and um, I didn't have to work with the public. So... And most of my co- coworkers were familiar with my role as caregiver. Um, and at the time, so this must have been about maybe going on eight, 10 years ago, 
our institution didn't have the type of EAP support that it has now. So a lot of the groundwork that I had to do, I had to do on my own. And I had to um, rely on people that I knew who were in other nonprofit organizations to help me out. Now we have a much better EAP system um, and they do provide some resources that I could have used, you know, at the time that I had to go find on my own. So, I mean, it's kind of a mixed bag, you know, my coworkers were as supportive as they could be. Um, but I, there's really, I don't know what else they could have done to have softened the blow. I mean, it just, it is, it is what it is. And you just, you know, you have to figure your way through it and find support where you can and where you don't have support. You just, push through if you can. Yeah. Um, I think for me, when I lost my husband and my mom, administration was really, really good. Um, they gave me the opportunity to decide when I wanted to return to work. And I think what they did was prep some of my students. Um, they knew what was going on and prepped them for my return to ensure that I wasn't going to be overwhelmed with um, a whole lot of questions or, or sympathy looks and things like that. And the, the staff as well, too. So when I did come back, everybody was really supportive. Um, um, I had my office as well, too. So during office hours, if I needed to cry, those were the moments I did that because I didn't want to do that typically in front of a lot of people. And I wasn't bombarded with a lot of um, the condolences and wanting to hug and things like that. So that was good it was a level of support that was there but it wasn't overwhelming where i was just in a bad emotional state all the time and things seemed to settle and get kind of get back to normal for me for work um and when my son passed away we had just received a new provost at the time so it was going through some changes and transition but she didn't know me very well, but she was very supportive of what was going on. Uh, and we spoke. She made sure to check on me. Um, my coworkers were saying they, they, you know, they bring things to the house, constantly check on me. And um, that was very important that I had that level of support. And um, those individuals I still talk to um, to this day. So that's very um you know, heartwarming. So I definitely feel that people have good intentions and they want to be there, but I think it's good that they also know when not to go too, too far, where it becomes too overbearing or emotional. But I do appreciate both um, institutions for understanding to a certain degree, you know, what I was going through and allowing me the time to kind of get myself together. And when there are times where I needed to be by myself or, or, or go in my office or come in later on, they definitely understood because of the magnitude of what I was dealing with. Yeah. I think that's what's good about, um, you know, people are starting to understand that people grieve differently. And I think that's what's good about having this topic as a podcast because we tend, tend not to want to talk about death, but we all experience it at some point in our lives. And um, I think the more that we can have some conversations about how to support people in a way that allows that person to feel supported, you know, everybody's going to need something different. So the more that we have conversations about what grief is and different ways to grieve and you know, what are the, the cycle, the ebb and the flow of the process? I think the more that we as a collective can be there for one another in, in lots of different ways. Yeah, I, I, agree. I, I agree. I think I think something that's very important is when people ask, what do you need? Right. Instead of assuming. And so you're able to say, well, I need time or I need this or I need that, whatever the case may be. And they can respond in a manner that's supportive and needed. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important when people can recognize, let me ask what's, you know, what is needed at this given time and be able to fulfill that can be truly um, important. Yeah. And, you know, as Valerie, as you were saying how people grieve different, it made me think about, so I was very close to my grandmother, uh, my uh, father's mother. 
and she she passed in 2013 and i was working in housing and residence life right and so i'm constantly around students and i'll never forget driving home from work um after an event i believe and my mother had called and and she said she's gone and i said what are you talking about and I remember going inside the house, inside my apartment, and sitting down, and it just wasn't clicking with me. Um, and I remember when I went to work, and it took me six months to even realize she was really gone, right? And for six months, I was just going through the motions and not really knowing what I was doing at work. But what, what was my saving grace in that process were my students. It wasn't staff, it wasn't faculty, it wasn't HR, it was my students. Um, and how they recognized that I was going through something and they just began to pick up the pieces, um, finding ways to, to make me smile, finding ways to make um, the work a little, little easier because I couldn't just close my door and, and cry at work because students were always coming in and out. Um, and I knew that they felt the pain that I was feeling. And so I remember the second, maybe towards the second semester, I had a real transparent conversation about what was going on and how they really supported me without them even knowing that they were supporting me. And I think that understanding the different positions that we are in higher ed and experiencing loss and how that impacts how we grieve. Um, because some people I know, you know, you, you lose a loved one and you just don't want to be at work and you take time off. So I remember taking off for a week, but I came back early and everybody was like, well, why are you back so early? It's like, I can't just sit at home and sit in this. I have to be doing something or else I'm just going to just flip out and uh they didn't understand that and for me you know going back to dr michelle you know instead of assuming what people need just ask them and so i felt like a lot of people were assuming that i needed time away from work and um i needed this space and what i needed was just to be who i was in the process and just keep it moving um and so i really really appreciate when people um don't really ask me are you okay well, no i'm not okay you know i i don't like when when that question is asked um and sometimes even when what can i do to help because there's nothing in my opinion that they could have done to help um but asking that question of what do you need right now um that i can supply mm -hmm. was was more for me more genuine um and not routine in, in response to, to experiencing loss. So I definitely believe we all grieve differently. Mm -hmm. So I want to say, I, I want to say one of the things that I was, I didn't necessarily have to experience. Well, I'll say this, this semester I lost a student. Well, actually coming back mm -hmm. this semester. And I think that what's interesting is that I feel like the same kind of that same process, you know, where you have to figure out how you're going to do, for students like I legit saw this student right before I went on Christmas well winter break I'll say and then right before coming back we found out that he had passed away and it was it was a very surreal moment having been a part being a person that has has already lost both of their parents you know I didn't think that I would be experiencing as much grief as I was but it was as I I literally had the feeling like some of these students, like these are our these are our babies. We are watching them grow, and you know to lose one, you know, it's very very hard. It was very hard to the point where I needed to like stay home. I needed to like leave work, you know, and go home because I just could not. I couldn't understand as a student affairs professional what I could have done differently to help that student you know and and that's that's the hard part knowing full well that we can't do everything you know but still feeling that way yeah i agree 
And so let's talk about some coping strategies because I know I don't cope well. Um, <laughs> and for me, it's okay, let me just keep doing what I'm doing and just let me be. And I hold all of that in. I recognize that I don't want to express my emotions very well. Um, I'm one of those individuals where, you know, just give me work to do and I'll, and I'll get it done. Um, don't ask me how I'm feeling. Cause I don't really know. Uh, I'll make up some, I'm good, you know? Uh, so what were some coping strategies? Because, you know, losing, losing anyone is tough. Uh, but losing people that are, you know, really close to you, you know, like your, your husband, your child, your mother, your father, um, my grandmother, uh, and the student that you lost, how do you cope with that in an environment where you have to be, at times, um, very social and very on the go and talking to different people? How do you, how do you cope with, with, with that loss? Well, for me, um, what was really important in my healing process and still to this day is having my meditation practice. I can't function without it. I have to have time to myself. So I really have to make sure I have time away. I have to have that self-care time so I can just blot everything out and just sit and just focus on my breath. Um, my mother passed away from a respiratory illness. And so every time I think about my meditation practice, I think about that connection with breath and how vital and delicate that breath is, that in-breath and that out-breath. And it helps me to recognize where I am in the process because some days I'm just messy as hell because I'm in my feelings and I don't care about anybody's deadline. Right. And so, and for me, you know, I'm just speaking for myself. For me, I have to be able to own that. I can't compartmentalize my life. My brain won't allow me to do that. Everything just kind of is in a big pot all together. So your deadlines are swirling around with my emotions and my, you know, feelings around my diet and working out or not working out and what I have to do for my kids. And everything is all just in one big pot for me. So I have to have that time where I can separate from everything and just settle down and breathe. But then also in that process to own that messiness, to be okay with not being perfect, to be okay with, I'm not 100% today. This is the best I have to give. I'm going to do what I can and, and, and help you as best as I can. And that might mean deferring to a coworker or, you know, getting an extension or collaborating with people to help, you know, turn out whatever the product is, you know, but for me, owning where you are in your process, I think is essential and just kind of keeping yourself just a little bit above water. If you're starting to feel, at least for me, to, when I start to feel like I'm starting to sink below, I just have to own the, the state that I'm in. If that makes sense. I think for I think for me, it's, you know, getting an understanding of the new normal, right? And I, I don't say moving um, on or getting over, but moving forward with this new life without these essential people. So I definitely went to therapy, and I, I still go to therapy, and I think therapy is important. I know the black community is still stigmatized, um, even though we're in, like, in a self care, help care kind of um, mode, but I think therapy is good because it allows you to be whoever you are at that moment in a safe place, and that could be yelling, screaming, crying, cursing, whatever it is, or just sitting still. And um, another coping strategy that I used was just surrounding myself with people who were giving me that support where I can still be safe and do all of those things with them too, but also providing me with a, lo a level of fun because there's still life to live, even though it's a little bit different right. than what it once was or what you needed to be. There's still life there and you still mm -hmm. need to be able to enjoy to some extent. And I know that my mother would have been you know, very upset with me if I continued on moping and crying. I literally cried and didn't laugh for six months after she and my husband passed. And people were trying to make me laugh and jokes. 
and nothing was cutting it. So something else I started to do after a while was watch things that would make me laugh, things that I used to laugh at in the past. So I used to watch reruns of Martin, mm -hmm. like over and over and over and over, and I started laughing. So I, little by little, I was starting to kind of chip away at that constant sadness. Mm -hmm. And something else I did was adult coloring, right? And I found that very therapeutic as well. And I have several coloring books that um, I especially used at the beginning of when my husband and my mom passed away. Now, when my son passed away, it, you know, that is a very devastating loss for me. Mm -hmm. So I did some of the distractions, stay busy, so I don't have to feel type of coping strategies. But that was eventually catching up with me because I really wasn't moving through my emotions and managing this new life, this new normal, like I really needed to. So of course, I was still in therapy, but I started to focus a whole lot more on my oldest and making sure he was developing well. In, you know, in spite of the loss of his younger brother. So I was loving on him twice and really focusing on his education, what he wanted to do and developing him. And that gives me great joy in being able to do that. And I still have my core group of friends and family that can embrace me at whatever stage I'm at because I still cry. I still get into those negative feelings. But because it's been five years of me dealing with loss, they kind of know what's going to work to kind of pull me out of that. And then sometimes they leave me be because I do need to manage through. So it's a couple of things that I've been using that has helped me get from the next day to the next day. And when you lose people that are significant to you, this is a lifelong process of yes. managing your emotions, yes. your physical well-being, your mental well-being, so while it's been five years, in 15 years, I could be in a moment where it was the, the day I heard of either of them passing. Mm -hmm. So you just have to be able to stick with what works, try new strategies as well, too. And again, when I said earlier, focus on the fact that there is still life to live right. and finding the beauty in that mm -hmm. and honoring those who have passed in a manner where you're full, living a full life as they would have intended you to. Right. I think about the conversation I had with my grandmother before she passed. She she prophesied to me and she said, you're going to own uh, you're going to own a business and you're going to be a doctor. I can see it. I can see it. And I was like, oh, you, you crazy grandma, you know, whatever. OK, we'll make it happen, you know. And then she passed. And a year, about a year after she passed, I enrolled into a doc program because I knew that was the promise I made to her. And so me getting a doctor degree has nothing, it had nothing to do with me. It was me fulfilling my promise to her. And for, and that was for the first two years. And I wanted to quit every day. And in my third year, I had to sit down and say, Hey, I know I'm fulfilling this promise, but I got to find purpose for me in this doc program if I want to finish. And it took a lot. And no one around me knew that. I kept that to myself. And when I never forget having my defense and they said, okay, you're done. You know, congratulations. And I remember closing my computer down and I looked around my kitchen. I said, no balloons. And I couldn't run to the person that I wanted to to say, hey, guess what? Your grandbaby's a doctor. I couldn't do that. And people wanted to celebrate me and I wouldn't allow them to. Um, and, and that was in 2018. So that had been about what, five years since she had passed and I still was feeling the grief. And um, it, it was just, it was just crazy. And, and so, before my defense, I had to find her obituary to read uh, because I wrote it. And anytime I do something big, I read it just so that she's there with me in some type of way. And I never forget, I, I told my house up and down for 45 minutes because I couldn't find it. 
And I said, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to defend none of this. And then I eventually found <laughs> it and it put me at ease. And, you know, um, so Dr. Michelle, you're probably familiar with, you know, when you're doing your defense and they ask you questions and, you know, at the end, et cetera, mm -hmm. they didn't have any questions to ask me because I did what I, everything, I just laid it out. So, mm -hmm. and I was like, Rama, is that you? Um, and so it was refreshing to me. And it's funny how, you know, you say that there's still life to live. And for me, for a long time, I didn't feel like there was life to live. I was just operating in just motions and just going through it. Um, but now I'm in a place where I recognize that she would want more from me, um, that she would want me to continue to live like I was living and being happy and, you know, excelling in whatever that I'm, that I'm doing. And it's just refreshing sometimes to sit back and think, man, if she was here, how would she feel? um about what i've done um and so that alone brings me joy but it also brings me to this concept of not truly being vulnerable um about uh the relationship that i have with my grandmother and the impact it has on me working in higher ed um and so when, when you think about being a, a black woman and everybody wants you to be strong. And then mm -hmm. you experience this loss and it's like, what do I do? Um, and I've been struggling with that for a while now in terms of vulnerability, especially working uh, with students and mentoring a lot of students because I never want anyone to think that I show up not as my authentic self. Um, but I also am trying to be the strong black woman at the same time. I mean, I have my moments every now and then, just like, you know, anyone else where I'm triggered by certain things and I'm reminded of my grandmother and then saying, oh, she's not here. It's, it's, it's tough. It really is. Um, and yeah, so yeah, and I'm and right now I'm triggered right now. So I'm I'm going I'm to be quiet. <laughs> yeah, I'm be quiet in it. Um, but kind of let's talk about this whole concept of being a strong black woman and then having to deal with what's going on in our person personal lives and people wanting us to show up as as this still strong black woman all the time yeah so like when i was going through even when i was just caregiving I, the imposter syndrome was strong on my shoulder it was very loud because i f i felt um, that I wasn't doing my best. I felt that I felt that I was doing just enough, even though that's not what my evaluation said, that's not what my boss said, or my clients. I felt like I just wasn't 100% present at work. Um, and and I felt like I needed to be, like I had to, to not show that weak side, not, not be vulnerable, not always be the person that runs out the door or comes in late or, you know, is just, you, you know, that person that just has all this stuff going on that's not relevant to the workplace. I used to, that used to really bother me. I, I felt insecure about that. Um, but I, I think I've learned to ease up on myself and to not pay attention to that imposter voice that's telling you that you're not as good as, or you should be better, or you could do more when that isn't the evidence that's in front of me. Um, I, I had support from my coworkers, so it, it wasn't really, I don't know how much of it was real and how much of it was my own projection. You know what I mean? It was just part of what was, what I was experiencing with the potential loss and then the, you know, uh, loss when it happened. But I think um, just sometimes you just have to know where your limits are. And sometimes you, you aren't strong. So, and, and that's okay too. Like, why does that have to be a bad thing? Maybe I need help lifting this. 
Why does that have to be a bad thing? Why is it less than or not as good as? It just is what it is, you know? Um, so it took some time for me to work through that, but then also to own that vulnerability, to allow that to be a part of who, of who I am and how I express myself. I mean, the collective is always what um, comes to mind for me now, especially that I'm in student affairs, is thinking about how we all share in the work together. So even in this, even in my own personal life, even if you don't know me that well, but we're here together, we're sharing in that personal professional experience. You know, if it's through just a, a nod of the head or a smile or a pat on the back or, hey, how are you? You look nice today, that type of thing. You know what I mean? So I think owning that vulnerability, allowing yourself to just be where you are and not try to, as you said, to always show up as your authentic self, to not try to hide or mask, but just to, you know, be who you are and not see that as, not allow that imposter to take over and defeat you with that negative self-talk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, for me, I, I've always heard and still hear, you're the strongest person that I know. Because how many people do you know that have lost such significant people in their lives? Your husband, your mother, your child. And I think that strength has come from how my mother raised me and the fact that I have another child that I have to care for and raise. So I had to keep going. Um, when I had to go back to work, my thought was I have my students I have to focus on. And I've never been the one that likes to cry in front of other people, especially at work. So I had to, every time before I got out of my car, build the strength up to get out and not be emotional and not be vulnerable. Because to me, that's considered a certain form of weakness, even though I've gone through this loss and everybody can kind of understand, but I had to be present for my students. And even now working at um, Georgia Tech, you know, they know about what I've experienced and some people don't know. And they've come to find that out when I know that they have gone through something. So I have a recent uh, coworker who lost her mother and I knew something was going on. And, you know, being HR, people love to come and talk about any and everything, which I love. And she came and she told me that her mother had passed. And then I shared with her that my mother had passed. And then in that moment, I was able to be real vulnerable with her and comfort her because of what I went through. And I felt okay to do that. And I found myself personally and professionally in that space. Oh, you've lost someone too? I can lay myself out in a safe place because you understand. And now I can share my story. And so we're in those moments together, being vulnerable together, where we may feel we can't do that in other places. Um, I've had students prior as well too, one student lost her grandmother and I know what that is because I've actually lost my grandmother as well too. And I was able to be in the moment with her, able to understand how she's feeling, able to guide her on how she needs to kind of think about what's happening and think about how to move forward um, with her life and things of that nature. So I still have this um, mentality my mom used to say all the time, never let them see you sweat. So that's the strength on the outside, no matter how you're feeling on the inside. So I still have that strong persona because I have purpose. I have a child. I have life still. I need to be strong to maneuver through. But that vulnerability is still there. And very few people get to see it. In certain moments, you'll be able to see that because it's needed, not just for me, but whomever I'm dealing with that is in the same emotional space. And I think it's okay, and I'm learning more and more, that it's okay for me to be vulnerable. It's okay for me to manage through my emotions. If I need to excuse myself because I need to cry, I do that instead of holding it in and choking on it like I used to do. Because I never wanted to talk about my loss. You know it. I know it. Let's talk about something totally different. Within the last year, I've gotten more comfortable speaking about my losses, and that's healing for me too. I'm able to share my story, share my story with those who've gone through the same thing as well, and find comfort in that vulnerable space. And know that I'm not alone to a certain extent. 
you know, like I said, I don't know many people who have gone who have dealt with the amount of loss I've had. But loss is significant regardless with one, two, five, or ten, right? So right. I'm proud of myself in that right where I can say I'm vulnerable right now and it is okay for me to be vulnerable right now. It is okay for me to cry. It's okay for me to scream, whatever it is. And then once I've passed through those emotions, I'm able to regroup and move forward. So as black women, we are, we're supposed to be strong in each and everything that we do. And that is the foundation of the black family, all of those things. And people fail to realize that we're still human. Right. We still have feelings. Right. We still have our stresses. And it's okay for us to have our moments mm-hmm. when we're vulnerable. Yeah. And I also think that vulnerability is a form of strength because not everybody can do it. Not everybody can get to a point where they feel comfortable enough to be vulnerable, whether that's in front of one person or whether that's in front of um, a group of people. And I, you know, I feel as though every time, and this isn't, you know, a coping strategy for everybody, but I do feel as though every time you share a story, there is a piece of you that releases. You know, there is a piece of you um, that you share, but in turn, you're, it's, it's healing for you. But then it's also healing for somebody else who feels like they're going through something very similar, if not the same thing, and they don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And so vulnerability, I feel like what we think, especially as Black women, is a weakness, is not that at all. Right. That was powerful right there. Um, yeah. Especially the piece, Jasmine, when you talk about when we share pieces of our story and how that becomes part of our healing process and also maybe Mm -hmm. part of someone else's um, healing processes because, you know, just thinking about the concept of this podcast and how it started, you know, Mm -hmm. it started from us doing a webinar about black women, intersectionality and burnout um, and what that looks like. And then thinking about all the episodes that we had in season one and hearing the different stories from different black women and we, all resonated in some type of way and to know that we are not alone in this um and and sometimes we we know it's difficult to talk about what we what we go through um but hearing someone else talk about it makes it a little bit more manageable for us to begin to talk about it from our point of view and that's powerful black women voices wow this is I need I needed this more than I thought I did. <laughs> I did. Well, I definitely appreciate this opportunity as well to be able to talk, share, you know, be able to know that there's others in the same space, but we're still going to be great. Right. As we continue on. Yeah. And me too. Thank you all for your vulnerability. Yes. Thank you all for, for your willingness to share, your willingness to be here because just in um, this here now, I'm infamous on the show for hopping on and hopping off or putting something on mute. Um, but we just celebrated my grandmother's time going four days ago. And so just in everything that you all have said, you've helped me um, try to figure out you know, the best way to cope, the best way to manage. Um, and of course, I know that I'm not alone, but sometimes in some moments, you need to hear that you're not alone. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for, for having this conversation, for being brave enough to create the space for us to be able to have this discussion and share our experiences and and receive everyone else's experiences. It's not something that um, I think happens often enough. And I think that this could be a catalyst maybe for some people out there that are listening to strive to create space in their own communities to have these types of conversations because we can heal. You know, as Dr. Michelle said, you know, there, there is still life. As long as you still have life, there's something for you to experience. And you can share that experience with your the loved one that that left, you know, in your in your heart, in your prayer, in your meditation, in in whatever fashion you want. But talking about it with people who are here, who are present, 
we can share in that space of healing together, recognizing one another's humanity and, and sharing in that compassion. I think that's really, really powerful. Yeah, definitely. And so one of the things that we do is we try to tap into, um, our guest personalities in terms of books that you read, um, or songs that you listen to, to get you through the day. Um, because working in higher ed is not always, you know, ice cream and cupcakes. <laughs> uh, so when you think about music, what are some songs right now that are just really pushing you through and really motivating you? I can't think of the name of the song that she sings, but there's a, I think she's from South Africa and her name is Lyra. And she has an album where she talks about what freedom means to her in life. And like for every song, there's a different expression of what freedom is. And it's about living your life, embracing, you know, your strengths and your weaknesses, embracing the, the love that you have or the love that you lost as, as experience. So I listen to Lyra a lot in the morning. She has really powerful messages that I find to be very healing and, and energizing too. Like it's not always sad. Sometimes sad is good, but sometimes you want something that's a little upbeat and gets you moving, especially in the morning, especially in Ohio right now at this time of the year. So that's, that's who I've been listening to. So I've been, I love nineties R and B music. Come on. Yeah. So yes. So that is the music. Well, it's not really tied to anything specific about uplifting me through my tragedy or my loss, but it takes you back to a place when things were really good and things were really happy and enjoyable. So I'm able to get into that zone and get into that space when I listen to 90s R&B and I feel good and I feel happy. And some of it is the slow music, some of it's up-tempo and it's a happy space for me. So it could really be any artist. It's just that genre from that time period that really makes me feel good about me and feel good about the good memories that I've had of that time. And I just really enjoy it. And I'm singing and I'm dancing and I'm enjoying this music. And I listen to 90s R&B practically all day long. Right. And it's a really good place and in, in mental space for me. Awesome. I love 90s music. R&B, they just don't mm -hmm. make music like they used to. But that's a different story. Right. So what are some books that you've read recently or that you're looking to read maybe in the next couple of months that you want to share with our, with our audience? Mm. To be honest, I haven't read anything for pleasure in a while. It's been mostly work in school, so... I'm at a loss on that one. That, that's still a book. <laughs> I was about to say, are there, are, there any, are there any like resources that maybe you read as you were going through, um, as you were going through your grief process that would maybe help as well? Any resources? Well, I mean, I don't have to, I mean, yeah, we do books. So we have a good reads list that we should promote. Yes. Oh, you do? Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, I have we a do. good reads list. You know what? I, oh. I'll probably think of it later tonight. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. Not from, um, I can't remember the last time I read something that was not an empirical article. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> oh, but I will say I have read Tia Brown McNair's book, and I really love that. Um, being a student-ready college, mm -hmm. what universities need to do to be ready for students. So I will say that was, I just love the fact that um, that's something that I can reference, a site black women. I can talk about that when I'm talking about assessment with my group. So I'll say that. <laughs> okay. okay, we'll take that. Um, so I read The Subtle Art of Not Giving an L okay. <laughs> by Mark Manson. <laughs> And it is a book that really talks about how you need to manage your life without having to live up to or please others. Mm. And it was a really good read. Um, it was a book that I actually read with my sister. And I would recommend that book. And it's really, like I said, about life and how do I deal with my life 
and let it be about me mm-hmm. and me living my purpose and enjoying it without being so concerned about other people and then trying to control what I do in my life. Right. And then most recently, We Need Some More Wine by Gabrielle Union. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a really good book. So it's an autobiography about her life, but it has so many tidbits in there about overcoming a lot of negative things that she's experienced. And, you know, as women, we get together, we drink wine and we talk and we tell our story. So it comes from a very honest place. And like I said, it talks about the hurt, how she overcame it, talks about the happy things, basically everything that she experienced as a young child all the way up to adulthood. And, you know, people look at celebrities as these shining stars that nothing really happens to them. Right. And they have life tragedies just like anybody else. And to be able to say, I like her as an actress and she's gone through this. Oh, I've gone through that, too. We can assimilate. It's very comforting. Mm -hmm. And she has humor in it. So that's awesome as well, too. And I just really think that Gabrielle Union's book is a good read for black women. And I just love Gabrielle Union. She came to St. Louis one day for her book signing. And I have my book signed by the Gabrielle Union. And she said she liked my lipstick. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So now y'all best friends. Yep. We best friends. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we we have, I know I have, and I could probably speak for um, the other co-hosts that we've enjoyed this conversation and just having you here and being honest and authentic and talking about um, the losses that you've had and how that's kind of shaped who you are and coping strategies and hoping that, you know, as Valerie stated earlier, maybe this being a catalyst for us to continue to have these types of conversations, uh, especially with other black women that may be experiencing the same thing. And as as we come to a close, is there anything that you want to say to our audience, whether it is about experiencing loss or being a black woman in higher ed, um, just something to leave with them? Um, I think I would, I would say that it's important that you surround yourself with people who love and care for you, but also you have to be honest with them. You have to let them know what you need. Um, and those might be some scary conversations to have for some folks. But it, I think if nothing else, it's going to help you as an individual create some space for yourself. And I think that having that space for yourself is important to, so that you can connect to your, who you are authentically in this um, different reality now that you're faced with because of the loss. Yeah, I, w- I would say, as I mentioned earlier, the new normal is going to be present you're going to be a different person. I know I'm a totally different person now in 2020 than I was in 2012 when I started to experience um, the losses of my mom and my husband. And I'm a totally different person from 2017 as well too since then. And you have to embrace it. A lot of times we try to fight it with distractions, with um, toxic behaviors, And that's not going to get you anywhere. Embrace the new normal. Surround yourself, like Valerie said, with people that are going to love on you. Find ways to love on yourself because not every single moment is somebody going to be there. I learned that the hard way. (laughs) Um, Not everybody knows how to handle people who have gone through loss. I've lost a lot of friends, even family members, because they just were not there. They didn't know what to do. They didn't ask any questions. They figured them being distant was best, again, not asking what I needed. And that was another loss I lost along the way were those instrumental folks. And that's just naturally going to happen, unfortunately. So embracing the new normal, surrounding yourself with people that are going to love you, and being able to love on yourself in those moments where it's just you. Because you have to face you. You have to face what you're dealing with. And you still have to be able to mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically manage through your tragedy and be able to see that you still have purpose. You need to fulfill that purpose and you need to be able to move forward in that new normal. Right. Yeah. So give, giving ourselves more grace. 
And that's kind yes, of, definitely. That's been my thing um, last couple of months is giving myself more grace because we we have purpose. And you know, as you said, Dr. Michelle, uh, distractions can come very quickly and easily um, if, if we're not willing to deal with some of the things that we have going on. So being able to give ourselves grace in these moments is, is very critical. So thank you from the bottom of my heart um, for, for being open, sharing your stories. Um, and yeah, I, th this has been, this has been good for me. This has been a, a piece of healing for me um, as well. So I, I thank you. I, I really do thank you. Thank you. But thank you as well. This yeah. is a great opportunity. This was good. This was really, really good. And I, I, it's not, it's not easy, but I will say that it's worth it. And so I'm going to share and, you know, that you were willing and open and no, I just appreciate the conversation. You know, I definitely appreciate this conversation. Um, because working in a space where I deal with a, you know, a fair amount of grief from the students, you know, it's hard, but I think that this was good in helping me just kind of organize and process around some of those things that happen, you know, and how to support myself while I support other people and, and to have the wherewithal and grace to just allow them to, you know, give me that same in return. So thank you. Thank you, ladies. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Black Woman Voices. To continue the conversation, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Black Woman Voices. That's B-O-K-W-O-M-Y-N Voices. You can listen to previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or SoundCloud. We ask that you like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. And also, leave us a review so that others can find the podcast. We want to spread this message to as many people as possible. Take care, and we'll talk to you soon.